0: This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking season four, episode twenty-three of Chuck. Chuck versus the Last Details. Hey, Aaron, you all set to uh, start the episode?
1: Uh yeah, I'm almost ready. I just have a few things I got to do. Um, I gotta, I got okay, I got my candle lit. That's good. Yep. Um, I all the all the guests are here. They're all waiting. Um, okay. oh, crap, I forgot about the twinkle lights.
0: Wasn't clear from that introduction, uh, Aaron actually did have a, what was that, a string of little, like, Christmas tree lights or, or bulb lights, yeah, something? Yeah, they're,
1: um, they're, I, I got them at Target, it's actually really nice, it's battery operated, so you can use it pretty easily. Oh, nice. I just have to keep them locked up because Archie likes to eat them.
0: Can't have those cats eating those lights, uh, this is, go chuck yourself, the number one podcast for, uh, interior illumination, everything <laughs> that you uh, want to know about lights, this is your podcast. Hello, my name is Chris Gillespie.
1: My name is Aaron Arata. Uh,
0: We are not, unfortunately, a podcast about lighting, although that could be either, I guess, maybe interesting, surprisingly interesting, or maybe predictably boring (laughs) to listen to a podcast about light.
1: We are coming towards the end of season four, which brings us closer to the end of Truck as a whole. So if we want to move into the lighting sector, (laughs) it's possible. Sky's the limit for us.
0: The lighting section of Home Depot, we could just record from wherever the nearest Home Depot or Lowe's.
1: Mm, that's a good idea, actually.
0: The lighting section is a fun place to go to yeah. see all those lighting fixtures. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say that we were getting closer to the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: <laughs> I mean, that would have been good. I should have. Let's let's go back and do it again. <laughs> Hi,
0: this is Aaron. And we're approaching the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, great. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so, yes, we we're talking about Chuck versus the last details. It is the penultimate episode of season four. I don't know. Uh, who decided like to you don't really hear the prefix pen too often in other words, do you? Like can you think of other mm. examples besides pen ultimate? I feel like it doesn't usually come up.
1: Pen and teller?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> in the the music the, the musical duo, the magic duo, Pen and Teller, uh, Pen is the second to last magician whose name is listed in that. So yeah, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um <laughs> So, before we begin, we have some very exciting news that I discovered recently. I found out recently. So excited. Um, uh, As you may be aware, Go Chuck Yourself is available around the world, uh, which is bizarre. Uh, It's cool. I'm glad that people around the world listen to the show. It's very um, humbling. And maybe, if I'm being honest, I can't fully process it, so I don't actually fully believe it. But it's true. Um, so uh in this case uh very exciting stuff found out that go chuck yourself was recently the number one television review podcast on the apple podcast charts in the great country of argentina
1: amazing hi argentina thank you
0: hello listeners in argentina i hope that you are still listening and didn't um for some reason uh stop listening to us once you downloaded all of our episodes (laughs) Um, very cool to be the number one TV review podcast on Apple Podcasts in the entire country of Argentina, which, um, is what the second largest country in South America after Brazil, I would think. Incredible. So that's very cool. I do have a, uh, a message in Spanish, uh, for, oh, for those God. listeners in, <laughs> in Argentina. Saludos, a nuestros amigos de Argentina. Gracias por escuchar. Todos ustedes son los mejores. Gracias. That was beautiful. Thank you. I uh, I hope that I get extra credit in my Spanish class for this. <laughs> um, I <laughs> I think it's worth something uh, to have the number one television review podcast in Argentina. I feel like that's worth some points. That I can go to my high school Spanish teacher and say, bump up my grade.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, So uh, very excited about that. We'll be having a uh, a little celebration de Argentina throughout this episode. I'll be sharing fun facts about this great country uh that i thought were very interesting and i think everyone will be a little bit more educated by the end of this episode so we're talking chuck versus the last details but we're also talking about the wonderful people and culture (laughs) of argentina (laughs) which uh is i would expect you know that's probably what you're expecting listener if you're tuning in to go chuck yourself like i'm gonna listen to some talk about chuck but i also want to get some kind of like geographical you know kind of information or sociological information about Uh, other parts of the world and that's what you're getting today that's what we're providing
1: educational and entertaining and that's right
0: that's a go chuck yourself guarantee (laughs) Uh, so so uh, maybe to kick us off i'll share one of these fun facts i don't want you to think that i'm like whoa what's he so according to my sources argentina was one of the first countries in the world to have radio broadcasting
1: wow that's really cool
0: first radio broadcast was made in august 1920.
1: So Go Chug Yourself is kind of like a member of that. Like, I mean, podcasting, radio broadcasting, similar. We're part of, like, a, a grand history.
0: <laughs> we are of of Argentinian, Argentinian broadcasting history. I think if you go to the Argentinian Broadcast Museum, um, perhaps in the great city of Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. there's another tidbit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably some kind of museum. There's probably, like, have you ever gone to and seen, like, those exhibits that's, like, a walking path that, like, or they have, like, time yes. stretched mm-hmm. out So you, mm-hmm. as you go down the hallway? So the hallway begins August 1920. Only 20 people in Argentina have a radio receiver. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you get to 2021. And I'd like to think there's wax figurines of us.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that well, that would make sense because uh, someone someone came up to me recently and asked to do a wax figure of my face, and I didn't really know what that was all about. But now this uh, is starting to make sense.
0: Yeah. So hopefully those wax figures, may, I maybe I'm assuming they'll probably ask us to record some kind of pre-recorded message uh, in Spanish um, soon for those. But yeah. I yeah, I'm honored to be a part of the the um, rich history of broadcasters and such an honor. It's a pleasure.
1: So we're going to continue with that education by uh, me educating you about this episode of Chuck. Um, Before we do that, I just wanted to throw out a couple of reminders about what's going on in the Chuckiverse right now. Um, Chuck told Ellie that he is a spy and that he has the Intersect, and she took it pretty well. We found out that Volkov is actually Agent X, and Agent X is someone named Hartley Winterbottom, who was not actually a Russian arms dealer, was just a scientist who got, like, an early version of the Intersect that totally changed his personality. And Vivian, who is Volkov's daughter, does not know this and thinks that Agent X is Chuck and is trying to kill him. So, that's where we're at. In this episode, we start with Mary as... Is it ziplining? What's the word for when you're like hanging from a thing? Repelling? Repelling. Ah, okay, thank you. Chris Gillespie, repelling expert. Um, we start with Mary repelling into a cave type lab facility where there are vials of yellow liquid that definitely isn't pee. She scurries back up into the ceiling as go- <laughs> It you- wasn't pee.
0: Yeah, but you saying it like that makes it sound like it was pee. I
1: mean, it might have been pee. We don't know what it is.
0: I didn't notice it the first time, but now I'm like I'm thinking about it. Like, do I have to go back and was it pee? What? Why were they having it might bottles have been of pee. pee? It was okay, very fine.
1: yellow. If it is pee, that person needs to drink more water. I'll just yeah. say that much. Mm-hmm. So Mary scurries back up into the ceiling as Ghostman Riley, Vivian, and a scientist guy walk in, saying they perfected the machine that will locate Agent X using his DNA. The uh, Norseman, you may remember. The Norseman looks kind of like a gun, and you put the Knot P into it, and it can locate anyone. The scientist guy is all squirrely and excited about this, until they decide to test the machine on him. Riley pulls the trigger, and it plays a really horrible noise that only the scientist man can hear. He, like, starts bleeding, and then he dies. Riley then tells Vivian she'll have to do some of this dirty work herself someday. She's kind of like, hmm, I guess so. And I kind of thought that that meant that she was going to, like, test it on Riley. But I guess they decided that, like, testing it on two people who are in the same room with them doesn't really make that much sense with this thing that's supposed to, like, get somebody who's really far away. So they don't do that. They just leave. Mary drops down from the ceiling again, but immediately the guards, Riley and Vivian, rush in. Riley introduces Vivian to the woman who betrayed her father for 20 years. Back in L.A., Chuck and Sarah are really excited to have a day off from CIA work, even though, like, one episode ago they were really upset about not having any missions. Although, I can relate to this having been in lockdown for a year now, I get that there are some days where you're like, ugh, I have nothing to do, and other days where you're like, ugh, I have something to do, and you know, it's it's just weird, it's a tough experience, but Chuck and Sarah are all happy, and Sarah says nothing can go wrong, which immediately causes things to go wrong. So the image preview for this episode on Amazon is Devin in the courtyard looking up and holding his arms out as if he is about to catch someone, I thought that this was going to be some sort of toss game he was playing with baby Clara, but apparently no. It's Morgan, who has fallen off a second floor balcony of his and Casey's apartment and is now dangling from it via twinkle lights. Ellie tells Devin to help, so Devin rushes in and tells Morgan to go limp and he'll catch him. Morgan yells for Chuck, and Chuck runs out of the apartment and flashes and does some, like, backflipping things to help Morgan get him off the roof. Everyone is impressed, and instead of saying awesome... Chris do you know what Devin says? What does he say? He says bitchin. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big surprise.
0: So we did. do we need to start calling him Captain Bitchin?
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well like Zandra is the bitch we know. Right um, yes. So I feel like it would be a little bit confusing if we had two characters that were bitch related. So we find out that Ellie has taken on a sort of wedding planner role. She has one of those like Bluetooth earpieces for... I don't really know why she needs that, Um, but apparently they are planning the rehearsal dinner, and Morgan, Ellie, and Devin are trying to do everything they can to take things off of Chuck and Sarah's plate. I don't know if this is some sort of makeup for the fact that their wedding planner, like, conned them a couple episodes ago, or if this is just, like, Ellie is continuing to take on tasks in order to fill her days, but... She's becoming a little bit of a, um, she's, she's a taskmaster, I would say. She's taking her job very seriously and she's doing Mm -hmm. a great job. In Morgan and Casey's apartment, Alex has seemed to have spent the night or she is just visiting for breakfast. She and Morgan are flirting and Casey seems to be grossed out, but maybe something else is on his mind. He gets a text from Beckman that says, come to castle immediately. So he heads over to talk to Sarah and Chuck. They say... You better be here to talk about the wedding, and Casey says, I am. He says, your mom might not be able to make it because she's been taken by Vivian.
0: That's a pretty good segue. The uh, a masterful transition. It, yes. Just like Chuck was doing parkour to do Rescue Morgan, mm-hmm. that's, uh, Casey doing rhetorical parkour.
1: Yeah, he did, a, he did a good job. So apparently, much like Ellie is trying to take things off of Chuck and Sarah's plate, Mary is also trying to help Chuck and Sarah by catching Vivian and getting rid of the Norsemen. When they're down in Castle looking at files about Mary's secret mission, Chuck flashes on one and learns that there's a secret uh, cave lab thing somewhere in Columbia, so they're going to head there and try to find Mary. Chuck goes up to the Bymore to tell Morgan that he needs him to do something as a part of the mission, but it's actually a part of the wedding mission. Chuck asks Morgan to make a romantic video montage of him and Sarah. He says Sarah doesn't have any old pictures, so Morgan will have to Photoshop her into places she's lived, which... Chuck seems to be suggesting unironically, like, he's not saying, like, oh, this will be kind of a funny gag. He's saying, like, genuinely do that. And so... And I don't even know, like, if Sarah doesn't have old pictures, maybe just do something else.
0: Instead of make her feel bad for not having (laughs) the old pictures. Yeah. Potentially risk embarrassing her at her wedding by having poorly photoshopped images of her standing in front of, like, wherever she's lived.
1: The Grand Canyon, Wisconsin, um... They also like they have all those. Do they still have all those Photoshop pictures from Chuck versus the Suburbs? Could they just use that if they're going to use photoshopped images?
0: Oh, maybe those are probably in a bunker somewhere. Yeah. That the CIA is holding on to, right?
1: So while this conversation is happening, Jeff is filming Chuck and Lester on like a digital camera kind of thing. Lester tells Jeff their time has come.
0: Oh, it's not just a digital camera. That's a flip camera.
1: Oh wow! Well, I wrote flip phone, and I was like, that can't be right.
0: It was uh yeah, the, uh, the flip cameras. Those tiny little, very portable, very cheap cameras that were immediately replaced by <laughs> smartphones that could take videos.
1: <laughs> ah, good.
0: Rest in peace, flip cameras.
1: Rest in peace. So once Chuck is gone, Jeff, Lester, and Big Mike head over to Morgan. They point out that he needs some footage of Sarah, and Jeff and Lester have about 1,250 hours of footage from stalking her while she's in the Bymore. That's not creepy at all. Morgan is a little creeped out, but he's mostly satisfied that this will help him. I mean, we see the video later. I don't really understand how, like, creep footage of Sarah is going to replace, like, old pictures of her. Because what I was imagining is that it would be, like, a little growing up montage of Chuck and then a little growing up montage of Sarah. But if it's Mm -hmm. just, like, footage down her shirt that Jeff and Lester took, like, that doesn't really help. But Morgan seems happy about it. Big Mike acting as Jeff and Lester's manager negotiates that Morgan will give Lester first cut. So Lester's going to make, make his own video out of the footage and hand it over to Morgan. So not only did Chuck outsource this, like, romantic gesture, but Morgan is now outsourcing it as well. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Down in Castle, Morgan is preparing for the mission, but Casey won't let him come. He tells Morgan he's not a part of the team, and Morgan is offended. Later, the team arrives in Columbia. They're in a small market town, but it has a lot of guards, so they know something must be up. They approach the mine and see there are two entrances to it. Miners are entering one and guards are entering the other. They sit down at a restaurant to observe, and the chef comes over, and Sarah orders the specialty of the house in Spanish, much like Chris spoke earlier. The man brings it over all excitedly, and Chuck and Sarah are visibly disgusted by this huge platter of food, and then they decide to leave without paying instead of eating it because they're assholes. I will admit that it did not look very delicious, and I'm not sure what it was. I think this was more a joke but i was still hugely offended and i was um a little bit mollified when casey pulls out his money pays for the thing and says gracias because he's not an asshole
0: yeah i don't know i thought this was like not only i thought it was strange because you know i i was kind of interpreting it through the lens of it being like this kind of like semi kind of i don't know if it's racist next necessarily or culturally insensitive gag about like oh the food in other countries is scary and gross yeah. and like necessitates like they are using because what's on the platter is like some kind of like some kind of goat skeleton maybe or goat mm-hmm. goat skull and all these kinds of like entrails and things like that and and uh like you said chuck and sarah are like visibly grossed out by it and yeah. i like don't know what to make of it
1: Sarah brings it up later and is like, "That food was so gross."
0: Right, which like I, I don't know. I feel like the the gag of people Westerners going to exotic places and encountering exotic gross food is like pretty stale. Yeah. Like, um, like in Indiana Jones and the the Temple of Doom or whatever that one with like the the gross food. Um, so I don't know. I not to say that the I'm not saying that the food looked appetizing, but I feel like the subtext here. Was that like if you're at other countries have gross like animalistic food like because it just looked like it was kind of dehumanizing I guess yes for like from dehumanizing the Colombians or these people in this mine camp who's to say maybe they don't have proper rations proper food sourcing mm-hmm. maybe this is what they eat but I thought it was I thought it was pretty offensive and pretty unnecessary
1: I absolutely agree thank you for uh, taking taking some time to talk through that with me because you said it. <laughs> You said what I was thinking a little bit better than I said it. So, thank you.
0: It just wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't funny and it didn't really justify anything and it wasn't, didn't move the story forward. And, um, I, something that I would like to eat that I think would be a delightful house special (laughs) and is a common house special in Argentina. Uh, did you know that is a Argentinian tradition to eat, uh, gnocchi, you know, the potato dumplings? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like. Uh, it's a tradition to eat them on the 29th of each month in Argentina.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. That's really cool.
0: So a lot of restaurants will have special gnocchi menus on the 29th of the month. And this this is a tradition that dates back to um, or originated with Italian immigrants who went to Argentina and only had, you know, limited ingredients to uh, to make dinner. So they had potato and um, flour and salt, and that's how they made gnocchi. And there is a tradition, a custom of placing money underneath the plates of gnocchi to attract good luck and fortune for the coming month.
1: Okay, so two weeks from today, I will remember to eat some gnocchi and put some money under my plate.
0: I mean, the Argentinians are doing it right. like eating, Just making a point to eat gnocchi once a month, that yeah. is brilliant. <laughs> I fully support that.
1: Absolutely agree. <laughs> so back in Colombia, Sarah and Chuck chase some guards behind a rock and steal their clothes. Sarah continues to be grossed out by the platter and just makes reference to how gross that food was, which continued to offend me. Sarah and Chuck don the guard's clothes and pretend Casey is some sort of prisoner. When they get into the um, Volkov side of the cave, the guard says he won't let them in without their proper paperwork. Chuck pulls him aside to talk to him man to man. He says he's trying to impress Sarah and would the guard maybe just cut him a break? The guard says he'll cut Chuck a break if Chuck, uh, beats up Casey, which he seems to think will impress Sarah, so Chuck goes ahead and does it. The guard comments that Sarah looks like a dirty girl, and then Chuck just has to defend her honor, so he just, like, punches the guard. I don't know if their plan was to, like, punch the guard all along, or if they were gonna try to, like, get away without, uh, casualties, but Chuck cannot stand for that kind of thing. They look at the guard's cameras, and they find out that Mary is in cell 13. Casey steals the guard's clothes, puts them on, and they head back to cell 13 to rescue Mary.
0: Not to dwell more on the scene and why I really had problems with it. Oh, but okay, no, let's just talk about so, it. <laughs> so the food stuff, I was like, well, that's not great. That doesn't make me feel too okay. good. Mm-hmm. And then we go into the cave. I'm like, oh, I feel way worse now because the, the scene with the guard, like the security guard, talking about Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, basically an inconsequential throwaway scene, mm-hmm. really suggests some pretty terrifying things about the treatment of women employees in this, like, mining outpost. Because didn't this the guard say, like, he seems like Sarah's been to Cell 13 herself in, like, some kind of innuendo thing?
1: Oh, yeah, he did say that, and I kind of just uh, glossed over it because I didn't understand what he was talking about. Um, but you are making a really good point. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that's what the joke was intending, but if so, or even if it wasn't intending that it just sounds like it, that's horrible.
0: Yeah. Um, it sounds like the cause I'm like, no one seems to be too perturbed that Sarah is she's not like pretending to be a man. No one seems to think it's weird that she's a female soldier. In mm-hmm. fact, the guy seems to um they seem to have a system with female soldiers that uh so I don't know. I thought this whole scene was very offensive. Yep. And I will wrap this up by a fun fact, not about Argentina, but about Los Angeles. Okay. Apparently, the cave, at least the the exterior, at least of this scene, is a cave in Griffith Park. Oh, is that a is that a place? Yeah,
1: that is a place. Um,
0: and this cave was used as the exterior of somewhat of the Batcave in the nineteen sixties Batman show. Oh,
1: that's cool. I've been to uh, some caves in Griffith Park. I don't think I've been to this one.
0: Is that where the observatory is?
1: Yes, but in a different part.
0: It's so I thought the observatory was like on a big hill, but there's caves around it too.
1: Griffith Park is very big. Griffith Park is like kind of like Central Park in that it is very big, and there are many parts of it, and there are roads that go through it, and there's hiking trails and lots of hills. The Hollywood sign is also kind of related.
0: Oh, really? It's
1: in there. Oh, Um, that's that's more like Hollywood Hills area, but it's they're all kind of around there. So learn
0: something new every day. Okay. So once Chuck and Sarah arrive at the cell, Mary is surprised to see them since they're supposed to be getting ready for their wedding, just in case you didn't know that already. Mary insists that she can handle herself and that Chuck and Sarah should go home to focus on the wedding. Chuck and Sarah rightfully shoot down Mary's idea of securing the Norsemen after enduring a few rounds of torture, which based off of what we know about the culture of this facility that I just discussed, I don't think torture is probably going to be a walk in the park for Mary based yeah. off of, just a gut feeling of (laughs) what these soldiers do. Um, The team's motivations here are kind of all over the place since Chuck and Sarah want to rescue Mary so they can return to their wedding planning and she'll be saved. But Mary also rightfully points out that the nation's security is more important than their wedding. So they like kind of both want the same things, but also want different things. Not really sure who to root for at this point. Uh, And neither is Chuck. Sarah and Mary seem to have a disagreement that puts Chuck in the middle Eventually, they decide that Chuck and Casey will retrieve the Norseman while Sarah stays behind with Mary, much to Mary and Sarah's uh, chagrin and Casey's sheer delight. As Casey and Chuck walk down the hall, Casey points out that was an interesting choice for Chuck to side with his mom, which, did he really, though? Casey says that he thinks Chuck should always take Sarah's side as her future husband, and Chuck seems to take note of this as they enter the door to the vault, only to find that the Norseman has been moved.
1: So, that scene confused me. Um, the Chuck taking sides with his mom thing, and I was like, I'll just wait for Chris to explain it so I kind of, like, understand, and (laughs) when you explain it now, still don't get it. It just kind of slid over my mind like oil. (laughs) I don't don't know that... First of all, I think that it's, like, kind of... It's it's kind of like a 10%, 90% of the time thing where it's, like... Maybe good advice that you shouldn't like only listen to what your mom says as opposed to your what your fiance says. Like maybe that's like an inkling, a, a small part of a good advice. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it is very reductive and like better advice to like it, it, listen to who is right. Like that's the more like uh kind to your mom and your fiance action to take. So I don't know that this is good advice. Um, second of all, I don't know what chuck did that is like so offensive to sarah or why like sarah and mary in this episode have some sort of beef that i didn't realize that they had and maybe it's maybe sarah is just mad because mary's just been gone for like arbitrary amounts of time just disappears whenever she feels like it um but it was weird
0: i'm glad that i you also were confused by this because i was like am i missing something but Either we're both uh, not very astute viewers of this program, which I would like to think that we are probably pretty astute. At this
1: point, I think yes.
0: So yeah, I, w- I was like, is there even an issue here? Like, it yeah. just seems like we, you guys want the same things and it's yeah. like we're trying to blow this up out of proportion. So just I don't know. Just add some
1: drama what? in an already dramatic situation. Yeah,
0: it already like a an episode that has will prove to have a lot going on yeah. in it. Um. So meanwhile, Mary insists that she could have handled things on her own, and Sarah defends Chuck for not wanting his mother to be in danger 48 hours before his wedding. Well, better get used to it, Sarah. You think this is hard. Wait until you and Chuck have to put Mary into a home someday. Oh, God. I could take care of myself. No, you can't. Can't do that anymore. We gotta, they're gonna take care of you here. I still want to drive. No, you got to take away your keys. You got to. It's not safe anymore, Mary.
1: That was a very um, beautiful and emotional portrayal of a uh, very difficult scene in many people's lives. So thank you, Chris. You brought a tear to my eye.
0: In a recent episodes, you you reached a a very high level of sarcasm. I, I think this is also pretty probably on the high score list of Aaron's most sarcastic moments and go check yourself history
1: we'll have to um, um yeah once we once we finish the show we'll have to rank them all
0: <laughs> uh i think that might actually also be on the list as well um, as, as this is happening uh riley and vivian walk into the mine and vivian notices that something is wrong since the misogynistic guard is missing um, chuck uses a computer to determine that vivian is actually planning on selling the Norsemen at an upcoming auction Casey points out that they need to get to that meeting and out of the mine ASAP, so they exit the vault to retrieve Sarah and Mary, but they aren't the only ones headed to Mary's cell. Vivian and Riley are, too. Sarah starts to prep an offensive, but Mary tells her to stand down since Vivian and Riley would never hurt her. Sarah doesn't really believe this, and neither do I, but Sarah agrees to stand down as Vivian and Riley enter the cell. As Chuck and Casey navigate through the halls, Chuck pages Sarah to tell her that Sarah needs to keep Vivian alive and unsuspecting so that the auction goes off as planned. This sounds easy enough, but becomes vastly more complicated when Riley encourages and instructs Vivian to shoot Mary. As Vivian points her gun at Mary, Sarah's level of concern increases dramatically. And even though Mary isn't breaking and signals to Sarah to stand down, Sarah just can't help herself. She reveals herself and tells Vivian and Riley to stand down just in time for Chuck and Casey to arrive. Vivian is surprised to see Sarah and surprised to see Chuck and even more surprised to learn that Mary is Chuck's mother. Vivian appreciates the dramatic symmetry of her and her father being betrayed by the same family, and Team Bartowski gives her and Riley plenty of time to ponder life's little coincidences as they lock them in Mary's cell and escape. And we fade to black as Vivian calls out for the guards to free her. So now, I'd like to swing it down south. We're going all the way south. So far south that um, we might, you know, eventually you end up going north, because that's how far south we're going. To talk about, yes, Argentina. Aaron, did you know that Argentinians created the first animated feature film?
1: I didn't know that. What was it?
0: Uh, unclear, but the world's first full-length cartoon was made and released in Argentina by a man named uh, Quirino Cristiani in 1917. And it is said that he was an inspiration to Walt Disney, who during his a uh, trip to Argentina visited Corino's studios in the outskirts of Buenos Aires.
1: Okay, that part I did actually know. Really? That's really cool. I knew the part about Disney.
0: Huh.
1: Um, that's amazing.
0: So, Argentinians pioneers of communication and arts.
1: Clearly they are. That just I'm becoming more and more honored that we <laughs> that they even looked at
0: us. <laughs> I know, to be in the the ranks to have you even charted in the first place no. in this a clearly very um, cultured country that appreciates fine arts and is very innovative. I think that's, that's great. Um, So more facts about Argentina soon, but now let's return to Chuck back in California. Chuck and Sarah are driving back from the airport, which is something they do a lot of, but we never see, but we see it this time for the first time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chuck uses this as an opportunity to talk about what happened in the mine. Now that they're not with Mary Apparently, Mary and Casey are carpooling. They're not in the car, (laughs) but presumably also headed back to Castle. Sarah is pissed at Chuck and says that it feels like Chuck can protect her from anything besides his mom, which is valid. Chuck says that he can protect her from anything, including his mom. He'll show her. Just then, Chuck gets a text from Beckman telling them to get to Castle. Sarah Riley says, no need to unpack. But there is a need to unpack. We need to unpack this scene right now, Aaron.
1: Well, um, first of all, I got a little confused because you said Riley, R R W R -R -R Y L Y. And I was like, Sarah and Riley, what? So,
0: sorry. Glad glad we unpacked
1: that part. Now let's unpack the rest of it.
0: Okay. So, why doesn't Beckman just call them on the phone to tell them that their mission, like to tell them what the mission is, so that they can just take a U turn off of the highway and go back to the airport? for whatever the mission is. Why is Beckman making them drive all the way from the airstrip to Castle to then say, go back on the plane, and then they're going to go all the way back to the airstrip?
1: Okay, that is a good point. I also wanted to point out that the um, text that Chuck gets is the exact same text with the exact same background as what Casey received earlier in the episode.
0: The same time and everything?
1: I didn't I didn't check if it was the same time, but it was the same picture of Beckman and it was the exact same phrasing of get to castle immediately, like get to castle period immediately, capitalized I.
0: Starting to think that Beckman is one of those people who like will only really text and occasionally FaceTime, but never actually talk on the phone.
1: Yeah, that seems right. And then sometimes in person, like she'd rather just fly there than like have a conversation on the phone.
0: Right. She's just one of those people. She'll like yeah. talk to them, obviously, over video chat yeah. And or text them, but she just will not talk to them on the phone. It's a little little weird. In Castle, Beckman informs Team Bartowski that Vivian is holding the Norseman auction in Moscow in 12 hours. Chuck tries to get out of this so he and Sarah can host their rehearsal dinner, but Beckman is not having it. Beckman makes a joke about being offended about not getting an invite to the wedding, but Chuck doesn't know it's a joke, so he puts his foot in his mouth.
1: I thought that was kind of cute.
0: Sarah points out that Vivian knows all of their faces, so how does Beckman think that they can sneak into the auction? Beckman is just all kinds of uh, extra today because she summons Mary from around the corner to explain that the mission will not involve combat. They do like a weird tag team <laughs> explaining the mission, which they yeah. clearly had to coordinate ahead of time. At least say like, I'm going to cover this part and then you say the this part and then I'll finish it. Um, kind of like, I guess, what you and I do every week or... <laughs> um, so... Mary explains that they just need an agent to attend the auction and purchase the Norsemen Fair and Square. They don't want to have like any kind of violence or anything like that. They're willing to pay whatever they need to for the Norsemen. Chuck says that that still doesn't solve their problem because Beck Vivian knows what all of them look like. but then Beckman shares the story of a recently detained Italian arms dealer who looks a lot like one Morgan Grimes. <gasps> Chuck and Casey are reluctant to send Morgan out on this kind of mission, but Beck but Beckman insists that they have no choice. And then she just hangs up. She's like, I don't know, maybe Beckman's going through some stuff.
1: She don't give a shit. Maybe she is more hurt than she's letting on that she wasn't invited to the wedding. I honestly think she should have been invited. They don't know that many other people.
0: No, and she's both of their bosses. Like, it's not like it's just one person who's both of their bosses and they, they don't
1: think. really like I don't think they have any animosity towards her like it's not like she's their boss that they don't like like she was a no. big part of them getting together in the first place
0: yeah she supports them I think she ships it right yeah. so
1: she's had about damn time
0: right I don't know maybe she's just busy um so cut to Morgan practicing his Italian accent which is pretty terrible um uh, Shout out to our friends in Italy, another country who, uh, go chuck yourself, has topped the Apple Podcast TV review charts. Um, Hello, Italy. Buongiorno. (laughs) Hello again. Uh, We recorded our Italy episode like almost a year ago, or over a year ago, I think. Um, Yeah, I
1: think it was before quarantine started, so that's nice to know.
0: Yeah, because it, well, quarantine had started for Italy, and then uh, we're like, hey, hope things get better in Italy, and then uh, that was... (laughs) Yes, Aaron just uh pantomimed a uh, missile hitting the ground and then exploding, <laughs> which is accurate. Uh, so Morgan's Italian accent is so bad that it makes Chuck and Casey further doubt Beckman's judgment. Mary insists that Morgan will be fine and that she and Casey will provide backup while Chuck and Sarah stay in Burbank and work on the wedding. Chuck insists that they should be a part of the mission since Morgan is his best friend and that they were uh, Vivian's handlers back a few episodes ago, to which Mary points out that under Chuck and Sarah's watch, Vivian went from, quote, a harmless co-ed to one of the world's top weapons dealers. Yeah, I guess it sounds pretty bad when you frame it like that.
1: I don't really understand the word co-ed. Will you explain that to me? <laughs> this is a genuine uh, question. It's like, so the idea is that, like, men and women go to school together. So it's yeah. like co-ed. But I don't know how co-ed it, it, And generally, it's a woman that is a co-ed. I think so, yeah. And Vivian is supposed to be, like, a college student? Is that how old she's supposed to be?
0: Um, roughly, I think. Or, like, shortly after that. Or, kind of, Mary is kind of just being a little flippant.
1: I assume she was the same age as them, but okay. A female student in a co-educational institution. It is regarded as somewhat old-fashioned.
0: Oh, it's definitely old-fashioned. It's very strange.
1: Okay, thanks. Thanks for explaining it to me.
0: Yeah, I didn't really explain it. You kind of explained it to yourself. Yeah. But what I will explain to you is that, did you know that in Argentina, Argentinian women go through the highest number of plastic surgeries per person in the world?
1: Well, I didn't know that. But that's interesting.
0: Yeah, they have a lot of plastic surgery in Argentina. Good for them. You do that. So maybe if you want to look like a college co-ed, you go to Argentina and get plastic surgery to never age.
1: That's true. You could, you could do that, but that's cool. Your, your body, your choice, you get to do whatever you want to it.
0: This is why we're big in Argentina. Mary goes on to say that this is the very reason that she needed to step in to fix Chuck and Sarah's mistake in the first place. Sarah finds this to be condescending, but Mary tries to backpedal by saying that Chuck and Sarah have just been preoccupied with the wedding and other things. Uh, like for instance, Chuck says, Stephen turning an innocent man into Alexei Volkov. Um, I think about ties it up. So I think we have one point Mary now and one point Chuck (laughs) and Sarah for in terms of uh, disses. Chuck asks Mary if she knew about the Agent X snafu and Mary says that she could not afford to let the CIA know that she knew about Agent X and that she's also been trying to clean up that mess. So I'm going to go ahead and say that that probably means she did not know because the writers did not know. So Mary did not know either. Sarah points out that they don't have time for this and declares that Chuck and Sarah are going on their mission with Morgan and that's that. Mary starts to dissent, but Chuck agrees with Sarah, stunning Mary. (gasps) Morgan observes all of this go down and pulls Chuck aside to defuse the situation. He also takes the moment as an opportunity to tell Chuck that he outsourced the wedding montage Chuck asked him to make, but that everything is still under control. This serves as a nice transition to Ellie and Devin sitting in the home theater room with popcorn waiting for Lester uh, to show them his rough cut of the montage. And I have to say, I was palpably anxious about this. (laughs) Same. I was like, I was like, what is going to happen? I have no idea. I have no recollection of this. What what are we going to see? So after a very sincere and ridiculous introduction, Lester presses play. And what ensues is a pretty standard montage with the opening chords of First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes, which um, I realize that if they play it in its entirety at any point will probably make me cry. (laughs) Uh, Aaron tried doing that at the opening when we we started recording.
1: Did you did you cry then?
0: At the beginning. Get a
1: little misty-eyed? No, when I was playing it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I always cry a little bit when we start recording. I, <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> I want to be clear, I didn't know that you had that kind of reaction to this song when I was playing it. I was not trying to make you cry. It was a happy accident.
0: <laughs> we'll put that on the sarcasm scoreboard. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so I didn't cry. That's fine. Um, but I guess that's because the song doesn't really continue too far into the montage before lester appears in the video he seems to have superimposed himself wearing a flesh-colored leotard with a heart glued to his lower abdomen <laughs> we see lester in the video start to perform some kind of like avant-garde experimental spoken word poetry with some primal screaming thrown in there for good measure ellie and devon are disturbed by this and turn the tv off ellie demands the raw footage from big mike and big mike discovers that ellie and devon weren't even paying jeff and lester to do the video So Big Mike will not get a cut of the profits as their manager. The scene ends with Ellie and Devin storming out and Lester sincerely asking Jeff and Big Mike how they think it went, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, So two things about the scene. One, I actually kind of enjoyed the scene and I was not horrified. I'm glad that they went this route instead of making the joke that Sarah was like the unknowing subject of Jeff and Lester's predatory footage. Thought this was a pretty good way to handle it and make Agreed. Uh-huh. Lester the butt of the joke. And then my other point about this is really just a question, which is if you're making a slideshow about Chuck and Sarah's relationship, do you think it's fair game to use the photos of them when they were just pretending to be a couple in the early seasons? Or would that be weird? Because they were just kind of friends then, so they weren't actually an item. So does that count?
1: That is a good point. That's not something I thought about. And um, I think that I am... A little bit too tired from Daylight Savings to really break into that. I feel like that could be the subject of its whole own episode. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say that it was all laying the groundwork. Like if you were if you were friends who had fallen in love over time, I could say that you could still use pictures from when you first met and you were just friends. OK. What, what do you think?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I just okay. I was curious what you thought. Yeah. Yeah. Down in Castle, Casey is prepping his sniper rifle while Morgan walks out wearing his auction suit, doing his Italian impression, which is, yep, still pretty terrible. Casey points out that Morgan is better suited for the buy more, which is the final straw for Morgan. Morgan wants to know why Casey has started being extra mean and non-supportive of him lately. Apparently it's Alex. She's concerned about Morgan and Casey is just looking out for his daughter's boyfriend. Casey explains that he made a promise to Alex that he wouldn't let anything happen to Morgan. So if something happens to Morgan while on a mission, he will have, to, he will have broken a promise to his daughter. Morgan understands this and assures Casey that everything will be fine. After all, Morgan asks, what could go wrong? Well, Morgan, let's find out. Out in Moscow, Casey and Mary get set up on a rooftop across from the Volkov Industries headquarters. They bond over being parents and being frustrated by the fact that they can't always protect their kids, or as Casey puts it, their idiot boyfriends. In the van outside the auction, Morgan is starting to have cold feet about the mission. He doesn't know if he can convincingly play a bad guy. Chuck and Sarah assure him that he will do... a a great job, and remind him that, he will be, that they will be supporting him from the van and monitoring the video footage captured by his, like, fake eyeglasses that have a camera in them. Uh, as a final piece of encouragement, Chuck starts to sing the Imperial March from Star Wars, which prompts Morgan to join in and get sufficiently hyped. We hear the actual Imperial March as Morgan enters the conference room where the auction is being held.
1: I'm going to honestly say that did make me kind of hyped.
0: He takes a seat at a round table where all the other crime bosses are seated. All the bad guys are quite imposing, so Morgan decides to establish his credibility by faking a phone call to instruct an imaginary henchman to kill an imaginary puppy. Morgan then hangs up and says that it was so hard to find good help these days, and all the other bad guys seem a little confused and a little impressed. At this point, Vivian and Riley enter the room to make their sales pitch for the Norseman. As a reminder, the Norseman apparently locks onto an individual's DNA and can kill them using an ultrasonic frequency from anywhere in the world with 100% accuracy. So. It's one of those things, you know, uh, pretty standard stuff. So it turns out that Vivian isn't looking to sell the Norseman. She's looking to use the Norseman. She apparently secured DNA samples of all the bad guys beforehand. So when Riley activates the Norseman, all the bad guys start to freak out while Morgan is unscathed. Seeing this through his sniper scope, Casey tells Morgan that he needs to play dead. Otherwise, Vivian and Riley will actually kill him. Chuck tells Morgan to stay calm, which when you think about it is really just another way of saying don't freak out.
1: Mm. So once again, Vivian seems to be intent on testing this weapon that can kill people from anywhere in the world in the room with those people. Like, how is she going to know it works? It's <laughs> my question. Why didn't she just do it in the hallway?
0: Why did she even go into the room? Why yeah. didn't she just like, what's could the point? Have stayed
1: in her office.
0: She didn't even need to gather all of them. What was they if she she could have just gone down the list and just like sat in her office and just sent them off. You know, this is
1: uh, the sole reason for this seems to be to make it easier for Team Bartowski to get the Norseman.
0: Chuck pages Casey and Mary to make sure they have good visibility. And Casey confirms and says that he'll open fire if it looks like Morgan is in danger. Morgan is um, pretending is pretending to be dead at this point. Meanwhile, Riley is still in salesman mode because he keeps selling the Norseman to Vivian by explaining how great it is that she just single-handedly eliminated all of their greatest enemies. Riley goes through the dead guys one by one, reciting their sins, much like a ghost would. Uh, But Vivian (laughs) cuts him off before he gets to Morgan. Riley, in his infinite ghost wisdom, tells Vivian that he's trying to help her become who she needs to be, just like the evil ghost fairy godmother that he is. (laughs)
1: Unfortunately, Riley also points out that someone in the room is not dead. Morgan begins to panic and starts to flutter and is wondering if he should stand up, but Casey instructs him to continue lying on the ground. Just then, another man from the other side of the room jumps up. He says his name is Sebastian Carlisle, and he's part of MI6. He starts to deliver a speech about taking Volkov Industries down, but Riley just shoots him, then him and Vivian leave, taking the Norsemen with them. Seeing that the Norseman is on the move, Sarah, Mary, and Chuck follow. Casey stays behind to protect Morgan, as Chris said, and a cleanup crew comes into the room, carrying like a, a basin and a bunch of acid and some like a big big butcher knives, which I guess they're gonna like dismember all the all the guys and dispose of them. Morgan uses his uh spy glasses, not not a spy glass, but spy glasses, to show Casey the targets, and even though the shades are down, Casey's able to Estimate where everyone is and take them down. That's pretty exciting. Once Casey's done shooting everyone and everything seems to be quiet, Morgan isn't responding and Casey gets pretty nervous, but then we find out Morgan is fine, even though he did get shot in the arm. Meanwhile, in an effort to stop Vivian from getting away, Chuck crashes into her car. Riley, the ghost man, passes out, but Vivian is fine. She says she knows that Chuck is Agent X, but Chuck tells her the truth, that it's really her dad. Um, and then Riley comes out, so I guess, I mean, because he's a ghost, he can't really be harmed, so I guess he was okay. Riley demands that Chuck tell Vivian who it was that turned Volkov in, into Agent X in the first place. He says that Chuck's parents manipulated Volkov to further their careers. Riley pulls out his gun to shoot Chuck, and Sarah and Mary both train their guns on him, but ultimately it is Sarah who shoots Riley and apparently kills him because he falls to the ground, and even though he's a ghost, he's he's dead. He's dead again. And then everyone heads home for the rehearsal dinner. So back in LA, dinner is, of course, in the Bartowski Woodcomb Courtyard. Everything looks beautiful, but Ellie is nervous because she fell asleep in the middle of cutting uh, Jeff and Lester's footage, so she isn't really sure how that video is going to turn out. We got some death Cab playing during this party and some more people we've never seen before. It looks pretty nice. There's twinkle lights, there's tables, Uh, apparently there's an open bar and it's catered because Big Mike is drinking a mudslide. It looked honestly pretty good. I would kind of like to have one of those. Yeah, it looked legit. Morgan arrives in a suit and like a sling when Big Mike asks what happened to Morgan's arm. Obviously, Morgan can't say that he got shot. So he says he hurt his arm playing Wii Tennis. Thought that was a good gag.
0: Well, according to IMDB, this is um, a reference to something that happened to Zachary Levi. He apparently hurt himself playing Wii Tennis. So it was like a joke joke at his expense according to imdb
1: okay well that's pretty funny morgan approaches casey to say that per casey's instructions earlier and worries are e. alex maybe morgan shouldn't be out in the field morgan asks casey to tell his daughter and casey tells morgan to tell her himself because she's standing right behind him she's apparently really mollified that he doesn't want to be in the field anymore on her account and they kiss how nice There's like a nice little scene of the dinner, which Mary interrupts by um, tapping on her glass to make a speech. She says that she often overcompensates due to her absence in Chuck and Ellie's life, but Sarah is very forgiving of that because she's an amazing woman. Mary proposes a toast to Sarah and says, thank you for taking care of Chuck. Then we move on to Chuck's surprise, which is really not Chuck's surprise. It's really not Morgan's surprise. It's really not Ellie's surprise, but it's actually Jeff and Lester's surprise. But Chuck is just going to claim it as his and say that he made it. And we are treated to a video with the full version of the Bright Eyes song. And I wrote in my notes, ah, fucking Bright Eyes. I wanted this to be my wedding song, sad face. So there you go.
0: <laughs> sure, you can still use it. I mean, that's kind true. of it's one of those one, of, one those of those songs. wedding
1: songs. Yeah, one of those
0: universal songs.
1: Yeah. Um. What do, what do we think about this video? You want to talk about it? It's kind of like there's some. Pictures of Chuck and Sarah, like romantic coupley photos mm-hmm. um, intercut with like things that either was footage that they already had or was like made to look like earlier in Chuck and Sarah's relationship where she's wearing like a um, um, orange, orange outfit and they're like holding hands. They sneak into a back room maybe to have sex. I wasn't really sure what that part was about. Um, and there's just some things of, like, them kissing in the Biomore. It's a lot of, like, stuff from the Biomore because Jeff and Lester took it intercut with, like, coupley pictures.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly nice. I mean, I think it also seems, I guess, kind of grounded that, like, that was what the kind of footage that Jeff and Lester would have access to. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it would uh, make sense, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was, it was relatively nice. I would give it, like, 6 out of 10. Um, we find out that... Jeff was actually the one this was Jeff's version of the um montage video and Ellie is so impressed by this that she kisses him not on the cheek not on the forehead but on the lips just right up in there
0: the uh, the meek will inherit the earth
1: <laughs> i guess that's true <laughs> So while all this is happening and everything is going well, Chuck gets a phone call from an encrypted number. He answers it, and it's Vivian who says that she's taken everything from him, and as a response, she's going to use the Norseman to kill one of the people there with him at the party. He assumes that it's going to be his mom, so he rushes over to help Mary, um, telling Sarah what he thinks is about to happen, but then Sarah says, ah, what is that noise? And her nose starts bleeding, and she collapses. (laughs) And then, like she's it was her and it's that's a really like scary ending and it was so scary i sent chris a video of my cat reacting horribly he started meowing and tried to get up to the tv to see if she was all right it was very upsetting
0: it was very upsetting the um i it, it was very it was upsetting yeah. and um but i thought the fake blood looked pretty bad
1: yeah the, the fake blood was pretty bad
0: the intensity of the scene and the way that they sold it was all uh was all on point
1: yeah like it's one of those things where like I get I get um at I mean as you do I get affected when people are showing like a certain level of emotion on tv and like Zachary Levi really sold like the fear and horror of seeing like his girlfriend collapse and it like made me feel like I was there so that was a good performance on his part
0: yes and uh that is how the episode ends pretty much right there right there it was crazy. What's going to happen on the season finale of Chuck? Is Sarah going to survive? Well, I guess you'll have to tune in next week to find out. <laughs> uh, but we'll move into the the later third, the latter third of this episode. But I do want to share another Argentinian fact, because I got to cram as many of these into this episode as I can.
1: Lay it on me, Chris.
0: Argentina was the first country to use fingerprinting as a method of identification. Really? Yeah, started doing it in uh 1892 in the small Argentinian town of Nico Chia. That is
1: very early. Once again, Argentina, leader in technology.
0: They're great. I love them. So love amazing. Them all. <laughs> uh so let's talk about what we loved in this episode in Chuck Mary kill, one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we'd like to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry?
1: Um I'm going to marry the use of first day of my life by bright eyes because it was great song very emotional um the the video again just okay but the song really like elevated it I think if it was any other song I probably wouldn't have liked it as much but yeah. the uh the use of the song was just like really good um it fits the vibe of Chuck perfectly and it is like a great wedding song so really like that what about you
0: I was trying to think because I and I'm not like a huge bright eyes person or mm-hmm. fan or I don't mm-hmm. know a ton of because well, it was named Connor Oberst's work mm-hmm. but I knew this song for some reason I was wondering I'm trying to think if I just dis- if I this show exposed me to the song because I feel like I would have
1: probably found pretty out. likely I
0: started listening to the song around the time that this yeah. aired probably so I wonder if that's the, the connection there huh hmm. never really thought about it thanks Jeff I wanted to marry this week how uh, sassy all the characters were I thought ah. Chuck and Sarah were Sass and Mary Mary was Sass and Chuck and Sarah Beckman was sassing Chuck and Sarah Casey was sassing Morgan. I feel like there was a surprising level of sass in this episode, and that made things pretty fun and, in some ways, more lifelike. Because when you think about it, you really only sass the people you love. So it felt authentic to me that these characters would talk to talk like this to one another.
1: Well, that's beautiful, Chris.
0: That's why. Uh, I, I, that's why I think I think you sass me sometimes. I think it's it's coming out of a place of love.
1: Um. Okay. So my kill is actually um related to your Mary. I would not say oh. um. I, I, too, liked the level of sass in this episode, but one specific instance of sass, not into, and that's going to be mm-hmm. Sarah's rudeness about the chef's specialty. Mm. We already really broke down that scene and the problems with it, but I would really... It didn't add anything to the episode, um, and it actually detracted from the episode because I was bothered by it, and I believe it to be fairly offensive. Um, also, much like the time Sarah was rude about um, Yana the dog, It Mm -hmm. just, like, I think of Sarah as, like, a kind-hearted, loving person, um, and these are two instances in which she is just blatantly, like, openly rude and hostile, and I don't care for it. Bitchin'. (laughs) Bitchin', but in a different way. (laughs) What is your kill?
0: I would, I also, I mean, I would obviously strike that scene out of, of existence, but I felt like... Like, in a bigger picture, I felt like the writing of this episode was kind of, like, all over the place. It kind of felt like so this was written by someone who was not super familiar with the show or the characters. And I looked up the writers and I couldn't, I mean, I don't know how long they worked on Chuck, so it might not really be the case. But I just feel like there were things that kind of felt, like, uncharacteristic of the show. Like, things that should have been developed more before this point that we were, as an audience, supposed to be, like, fully brought into, like... Mm-hmm. Ellie has taken over the wedding planning. Big Mike is now Jeff and Lester's like artistic manager instead of just their a buy more manager. Yeah. Sarah has beef with Barry. Morgan is risking his life on a regular basis for the spy world to Alex's concern. Guess so. I did like the sass and the dialogue, which I thought was kind of fresh, but then they're all the heavy handed Star Wars references. And then there were some instances of like really clunky exposition at points where it was just like, I think at some point they were in Castle and there was just like an exposition dump. And I was like, "eh, yeah. I feel like this the writing is kind of um, it didn't really feel like it meshed well with the, the rest of the episodes. I don't know.
1: I think that's totally fair. I will, in a brief response to that, I totally agree with what you're saying. I will say that I believe it was established that Big Mike was going to be Jeff and Lester's manager in like season three or two. Oh, really? like it hasn't come up. Because that's okay. when he brought up the Earth, Wind, Fire, and Rain thing when he said mm. like I miss my life on the road and I'd love to be your manager." Whenever Jeffster like first popped up, mm. um, but it has not been a part of season four at all. So I see why it would not be at the forefront of your mind.
0: Yeah, I just felt like I I enjoyed the Star Wars references like a little bit, but it also mm. felt like just like oh well, what's Chuck about? Oh, it's about nerdy things. What's a nerdy thing we can reference? How about Star Wars? Yeah. Like the lowest hanging. Fruit of nerdy things. so
1: Absolutely was,
0: agree. It's like, eh. Um. So now we're gonna move into the scooter scale where we uh give this episode either anywhere between zero and five corn dogs based off of our critical analysis of it. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you give this episode?
1: So I gave this episode a three. Mm. I thought, um, I besides what we've already mentioned, I didn't think there was anything like egregiously bad about it. Mm-hmm. um but also besides the like emotionally effective like last maybe 3 minutes of the episode at the rehearsal dinner i also didn't think it was like that exciting or that unique uh, especially for the penultimate episode of a season so i i'm going to give it just for those last 3 minutes like a little bit higher than middle of the road but mm-hmm. i thought it was um not that memorable as an episode and not, um, like, it's setting up for what I'm hoping will be a very exciting finale for season four, Um, but it had its share of problems, and something that we'll probably talk about in the next episode but definitely confused me is that we saw the Northman work twice in this episode where Mm -hmm. the person died instantly, and so the implication that Sarah is not immediately dying um maybe you can understand it in that like vivian is really far away and that's why like maybe the norseman takes a longer time to work um maybe Hmm. you do have to be in the room with the people and that's why she was there in the other two instances but um this episode just seems to bring up a lot of questions that Hmm. i don't think it always answers so three corndogs for me
0: i think that that is valid i think the um The Norseman thing is just kind of a a mess. Yeah. Just like, it's just kind of hard to follow. Yeah.
1: Where'd she get Sarah's DNA?
0: Right. Like, do we see that at all? No, we would have, we would have known if she took it from something. So, yeah, I don't know. I agree with that. I think like I kind of am of the same same mindset because I kind of, I give it a four out of five just because I like rationally, I think this episode is kind of a mess overall, but Mm -hmm. emotionally I enjoyed it for the most
1: part. Oh, that's
0: fair. There's so much going on in this episode, kind of to the detriment of it, and I don't think that needed to be the case. Like, I yeah. think the, the Sarah and Mary conflict...
1: The Sarah conflict.
0: While perhaps emotionally authentic and lifelike felt superfluous here and could have been covered in a much earlier episode, I think having Morgan going on his first solo mission was interesting, and it was kind of strange that it was shoehorned in here. Yeah. Even if it was like symmetrical with the opening gag of him getting stuck up on the hanging lights, and that starts the whole... Like Casey's being protective of him, um, the stakes were indeed high. So I get it from a dramatic angle, but still, this was a significant moment for the character uh, of Morgan that didn't necessarily need to be in this pen up pen pen ultimate episode of the season. And then, like, surely women and their mother in laws being in conflict is not a new trope. But still, the the way that they handled this, especially with Chuck being concerned but also not really, kind of made it seem like a conflict that was being reduced to. Oh, you know, just typical women being women, yeah. women can't get along or you're like, they're going to butt heads. And yeah. so that didn't feel that great. No. And then obviously I have the hangups with the, the Colombian scenes. And although I was pleasantly surprised about the Jeff and Lester arc. So this kind of those two things kind of cancel each other out mm-hmm. with uh, my thought, my feelings about them. Um, so, yeah, overall, I've, I love the, the five minutes or so of the party. Before the shit hits the fan, it's just nice to have all these characters together and having fun. It was a nice celebration and it was a joy seeing everyone happy and safe together. I'm sorry that Vivian had to go ruin it by veering everybody into melodrama territory. So, yeah, I enjoyed this episode, but I acknowledge that it's not really like a great episode. I agree. So, now I would like to bring up the lesson of the week. Uh, Aaron, what did you learn this week?
1: So,. I unfortunately, I feel like after this episode, we can no longer deny the fact that Riley was not in fact the ghost man and was in fact alive. This is based on not only the fact that he is shot and dies in this episode, but that multiple people see him. It's not just Vivian. I could maybe buy that Mary was um, aware of his ghostliness from all the time she spent in Volkov Industries, but Chuck and Sarah both interact with Riley. We see various guards and people interacting with Riley. So unfortunately, while he will always be a ghost in my heart, I think that he is not intended to be a ghost by the show, Chuck. Unfortunately. Sorry to blow your mind.
0: Well, I respect that, but I will ignore it because my lesson of the week is that this week I learned that sometimes even ghosts can die.
1: Wow.
0: Rest in peace again, Riley. Rest in peace peace again. again. May your R-I-P-A. soul finally be at peace <laughs> or may you rot in hell I'm not really yeah. clear what the deal is but probably rot in hell probably based off of what we know of him uh, seems like he's probably going to hell um which is the opposite of Argentina which is a delightful country but you might be surprised and you might find yourself thinking woof it's a little warm it's a little bit feel like it's uh hotter than hell here that's because the highest and low, the lowest coldest temperatures ever recorded in South America were both captured in Argentina.
1: Wow! Have, can be
0: really they have really hot areas and really cold areas. They have also the the highest and lowest points, like height wise, naturally occurring in South America's in wow. That's
1: also really cool.
0: Yeah. So I hope that I have expanded your knowledge of Argentina, of our our one of our beloved countries, and uh, once again, gracias to our listeners in Fazios. in Argentina. um, So yeah, I think this has been a, a very meaty, thoughtful episode.
1: Very illuminating.
0: Very illuminating, just like your sparkling lights. Mm-hmm. So I will see you again the same time next week for, for a wedding or, or maybe not. Maybe it's a, maybe there won't be a wedding because Sarah will die. I guess we'll yeah, just have maybe to. Maybe it'll
1: be a funeral instead. Four weddings and a funeral. One, 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 one funeral and four weddings. That's the same thing. Um, yeah, we don't know. We'll find Who out. You can say.
0: So, until then, this has been Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy.
1: And this is Aaron Arada letting you know that anything is possible.
0: We'll see you next week. Make sure to tune in for the season finale of season four. Woo! Woo! See you then. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not
1: want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.